The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. And this is the Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy with you until seven o'clock. Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly with me in studio. Minister, can you talk me through the main findings of today's review into Ireland's abortion services? I can, Kieran, and it's uh, it's good to see you. So the review is published today. I've sent it on to the Health Committee for a view on the legislative. Uh, recommendations in there. It's a very useful report. There's a lot of recommendations. Most of them are operational recommendations. Very sensible operational improvements to make the services more accessible for women, to make the services uh, better for women and and critically to support our healthcare providers as well right across the country providing uh, the services. Some of the key recommendations are as follows. Um, There's a big focus on greater availability of services both at a community level, which is mainly the GPs, and at a hospital level. There is a focus on greater access to education, to training and supports for healthcare providers. There is a recommendation around a very limited extension of the 12 weeks, not that the 12 weeks would change, but Mm. that there is a very limited set of circumstances where a woman through no fault of her own might fall a day or two on the other side of the 12 weeks. And it's uh, suggesting a bit of discretion there. There is a recommendation around essentially eliminating the three-day waiting period. The way it's characterised in the report is substitute the three-day waiting period with a mandatory obligation on the medical practitioner to advise the woman that she has a statutory right to a reflection period. But in to all intents and purposes, that would be doing mm. away with the, 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 the obligatory three-day period. And that is a contentious recommendation, which is acknowledged in the report itself, in fairness. It, it is. And already we, we're hearing... Um, arguments from both sides on this. Some people who never believe that the three days should be in there in the first place. Other people who believe it should have been and, and, and should remain there for their own reasons. And then people who were saying, regardless of their own views, the three days was clearly part of the proposal that was put to people when we asked people to vote to repeal the Eighth Amendment. So a lot of different, um, a lot of different views being expressed there. What's your own view? on getting rid of the three-day waiting period? I have a view, but I hope you'll appreciate in my role as Minister for Health, um, what I want to do is I want to give the Health Committee time to reflect on it. I don't want to be in a position where people might suspect or feel that I'm trying to influence debate in the committee. I want Mm. to leave them free to do their own work. Uh, I was on the Health Committee when the legislation came through, and I think there was a very, not not perfectly, but a, but a very respectful debate in the Oireachtas and around the country and on the airwaves uh, on these matters when we uh, campaigned for appeal and then when the legislation came through. And I'm hoping to see the same sort of uh, debate, respectful debate uh, within the Health Committee, within the Oireachtas, ho- ho- hopefully uh, more broadly than that as yeah. well. Yeah, because th- th- there will be people for whom uh, abortion is just, you know, morally abhorrent. They will never support any access to services. And that's 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 absolutely their right uh, to, to have that view. There are others who will have what might be termed an extreme view on the other uh, side, you know, unlimited access right up to late term. M- most people, and I, th- listen, this is, I know um, my own interpretation, but I think it is borne out from from the discussions and the debates that were had around the referendum. Most people fall somewhere in the middle, and and I think that's why we had the result that we had. You, like there will be people though for whom they voted yes because of that three day wait that that pushed them over the line. That includes people who sit around the cabinet table. Simon Coveney was quite clear about how important things like the three day waiting period were for him. 
you can understand how if that were to change without going back to the people, and of course we wouldn't be going back to the people, there's no proposal here to have a referendum on getting rid of that, why they might feel like they had the wool pulled over their eyes a little bit. This is something we have to be very cognizant of. It's something we have to be very respectful of. Essentially for me and my role, I have an over two, two priorities in this. One is to make sure that women get access to healthcare services that they have every right to under law right across the country. And secondly, exactly to your point, that we are respectful of the conversation we had with people when we asked them to repeal. I campaigned hard for repeal. Mm. I walked the streets of of Wicklow night after night uh, and, and, and other parts of the country. I spoke to a lot of people and a lot of people fell into that middle category. They said it's something that they're not particularly comfortable with but they absolutely believe that it's something that women that it is that it is a woman's choice, uh, and and they they were they were voting on that basis. And and as I characterised it to people at the time, really, really the the the, the question being asked is not whether or not these services should be available. They're ava- they were they vote they've been available for a long time in the UK. It was whether they should be available here. Yeah. And good good progress has been made, and it's important to say this. The report focuses, as it should, on the parts of the system that are not working and need to be improved. But it is important to say it also acknowledges an awful lot of progress has been made. And I just want to acknowledge the work of healthcare professionals right across mm. the country in terms of rolling out these services. Yeah, we're going to talk about the healthcare professionals and where the services exist in just a moment. But a, a final point on, the, on uh, to put you on the three-day waiting period. I mean, there will be those who campaign on the other side, on the pro-life side, who'll be looking at all of this and thinking, this proves us right, what we said. We said that once the danger is, once you take it out of the Constitution, then future governments can liberalise access to abortion. Ignore the assurances they're giving you today about three-day waiting periods. They will scrap that. And lo and behold, we're, on, we're about to have a conversation about scrapping it. In, inevitably, those, the, the, those positions will be aired as well. What, what I can say on the three-day wait is there has already been um, a, a fairly significant change. When this was rolled out first, the way it was put in, into practice was that a woman typically had to go and see her GP twice with a three-day period in between. So they might go on the Monday mm. uh, and, and talk to the GP and then come back several days later and then be prescribed uh, medication. During COVID, we changed that for infection control reasons, whereby the first visit typically was a phone call. Yeah. And then there would only be one visit. And so, and, and we have kept that in place. And so the, right now, in, in most cases, there is no need for two, two visits. It's a phone call followed by a visit in person several days later. Now, cynical GPs would be saying, well, it works perfectly at the moment because nobody can get an appointment within three days anyway. We don't have enough GPs in the country. And that feeds in, though, and I'm not being flippant about it, but that, that, that does feed into another thing that is, that is, is a feature of the report, which is as with the geographical patchwork nature to, to, to access the services. So what, what does the report tell us about that? The report tells us that there are over 400 GPs providing services, but in some parts of the country, there's, in some counties, it's only a handful. And obviously this, this represents a risk to uh, ongoing services. So one of, the, one of the things we need to do is, is support GPs in signing up to in signing up to the scheme and signing up to providing the services and there is a focus there is a big focus in the report in terms of supports and training and fora and peer supports for GPs and certainly I would I would encourage more GPs to sign up and then in the hospitals in mm. Ireland we have 19 maternity units 11 of them currently provide the services 
Um, that's gone up one Sligo. Uh, Sligo came on board uh, in the term of this government. My view, unambiguously, is all 19 maternity units should be providing these services. I do not believe it's acceptable. I, I respect the conscientious objection yeah. aspect. And is that why they're not providing it in those other hospitals? In, in some cases, yes. In some cases, they're, the, the clinical staff there simply are, are choosing not to provide them. In others, they were citing that they didn't have the requisite supports. So through the funding of the National Maternity Strategy and others, we've been putting those supports in place. My view is all 19 maternity units should be providing them and I'm working with the HSC. Our aim is to get from 11 to 17 this year and then up to the full 19 next year. Outside those hospitals, are we going to have safe access zones that they've been called, uh, uh, areas whereby people can't protest? Dr O'Shea in the report kind of uses very broad language about possibly criminalising an attempt to influence people's decision to have an abortion, which is, again, it's it's very broad. I mean, arguably it criminalises all activity on the pro-life side. So what is going to happen there? Safe access zones is one of several recommendations in the reports in the report that's already happening. So we're we're well progressed in terms of safe access zones. That has been going back and forth to the health committee for pre legged scrutiny. Um, Angarda Shiakona were in voicing their their views. My aim is to have that back from committee, back to government, and then into the Iraq this in this uh, summer session. Okay, I want to have it through all stages and passed before the doll recess this summer. The report also references other important things we're, we're, we're doing. So free contraception, funding for the national maternity yeah. strategy and other, other policy measures So as safe well. access zones by when would they be out, up and running outside hospitals? My aim is that the legislation would be through before the dull recess, which would be in okay. July. Um, on safe access zones, actually kind of related matter, um, do you think we should ban people, individuals or groups protesting outside the private homes of politicians? Oh, it's a good question. Uh, as one of those politicians, obviously, um, in recent years, I think we need to be really careful about this. I don't think there is ever any legitimacy for protesters to go to a family home. Mm. In my view, it's it's an act of cowardice. Uh, it is sometimes an act of thuggery. And I believe in many cases it is meant to intimidate public figures by essentially intimidating or threatening their, their families. Uh, and I think it is it is an act of it is a low act of cowardice in in my view, yeah. and no one should ever engage in that. That's that's the first point. The question you're asking is, should we make it illegal? Yeah, Malcolm should- Byrne, Senator Fianna Fáil, Senator yeah. wants to make it illegal. Uh, Anne Rabbit was on the show yesterday. She agrees with him absolutely. Dara O'Brien less so. Y- yeah, I I would be careful about this. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think. Any time we, we we live in a we live in a free society, uh, and debate and passionate debate and protest are really important parts of our of our democracy, and so we've any time we look to curtail them, we've got to be really really careful. So the reason that I'm supporting safe access zone legislation mm. and, and bringing it through, in spite of that, is because we have numerous examples of GPs being intimidated of women being intimidated, of healthcare professionals being intimidated, going going about their work to provide legal services in this country to a point where I think we have a duty of care to protect our, our healthcare workers yeah. and, and patients seeking, seeking um, healthcare services. When it comes to people's homes... I, I think we we need to we need to handle the the legality of that carefully and just 
and, and, and I've had it on several occasions, yeah. obviously in my own home, you got to be very careful about curtailing people's right to protest. So you, you sounds like you, you, on balance, you would oppose making it illegal. I, I'd be, I'd be open to looking at any proposals that any member of the Oireachtas put forward. Okay. Do you, in a general sense, worry that protest, political protest, is becoming more confrontational? I do. Yeah. I do. I uh, lived in America for years and I lived in uh, the UK for years. And what I saw there, I, I, I love, loved my time in both countries and a huge time for both countries. And what I saw happen first in America and then in the UK was a coarsening of the debate. Um, Fueled, to be honest, largely by social media and largely by people's inability or or lessening ability to hear each other because these algorithms just feed people what they want to hear. And my understanding of the algorithms is, some of them anyway, they promote negativity, they promote conflict. And so as it's been explained to me, someone could put up two tweets or two posts on whatever platform they're on. And typically the more negative, aggressive post will be um, promoted more and will be spread further by the algorithms. So it's not all social media, obviously, but mm. I do believe that these recommender systems and social media has fueled a level of anger and hatred uh, and 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 people just engaging each with each other in a way that they never would have previously and they wouldn't face to face. And you can see that coming in here in Ireland as well. Mm. Yeah. I mentioned Daryl O'Brien, who was on the show yesterday. Have you any reservations about the waiving of these development levies um, for builders and property developers? I mean, about 12 and a half grand per unit, they reckon it will save them. But there's no guarantee that, and Daryl O'Brien acknowledged this himself, there's absolutely no guarantee they don't just pocket that profit. Yes, I do. I fully support it. it. Ultimately, we need more houses in this country and we need more houses fast. And I think. To- and, and what's the evidence, though, that. Doing this will lead to more houses. Well, Completions were up in Q1 of this year. I mean, January commencement notices were record highs. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment we're building enough. People would be appalled (laughs) to hear me suggest that on the radio. Um, But where's the evidence that builders are not uh, increasing output because of 12 and a half grand per unit? Just basic economics. We, we, We have a fairly steady... Uh, demand curve. We have a set number of people with access to a certain amount of money that f- with which they can buy a house. So if we can reduce the cost of building those houses, more houses, more houses can be sold. Therefore, developers will build more houses. And for me, some of it, some some of the waiving of the development levy uh, may go into lower prices. Um, some, but, it won't but, really. But well, let, let's see. We do, we don't know. But really, what we need is more stock. And again, basic economics, over time, as the volume of houses goes up, the price of those houses, the market price, the equilibrium price of those houses um, should stabilise, should should go down. So look, we are in the middle. It's the government's biggest focus. We are acutely aware of the issues. Um, and I do think uh, whilst we, we must focus on it, and we are focusing on it, and the package that was agreed yesterday is about a, another billion euro on top yeah. of many other billions um, I do think, in fairness to Minister O'Brien and in fairness to Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath and, and who are, you know, have agreed funding for, for, for these things, we are now seeing record number of social houses being built. I think the highest number since about 1975 or something, mm. since the 70s. We've seen an increase in completions uh, in the first few months of this year and critically, 
we've seen an increase in commencements in the first three months of this year. So it's a huge issue. It's a bit like the waiting lists in healthcare, yeah. right? Uh, it's such a big issue that this government faced, made worse by COVID, that it does take time. But critically, in the same way that the waiting lists are now falling, the number of new houses is now going up. So to be honest, Kieran, I support, I'd support an awful lot of measures. Anything we can do mm. to increase availability of houses for people to buy or people to rent. Um, well, listen, before I let you go back to your own bailiwick um, and your Secretary General, Robert Watt, were you satisfied with his performance before that Oireachtas Committee uh, on foot of uh, Maura Quinn's report into the kind of botched handling of Tony Holohan's secondment to Trinity? I'd say this, Kieran. Regardless, however, Robert may have come across uh, at committee, and I read poorly. The, I read the same. Uh, I read the same. Uh, you know, opinion pieces as I'm sure you did, and some of your listeners did. I, I would say this: he is a committed civil servant. He is working very, very hard uh, with me and the department mm-hmm. and the HSE to implement the government's priorities in healthcare. Um, I have tried to put together a team that can get things done. My view coming into health was one of the biggest problems we have in health is everything takes too long. At the public spending code with its 17 pieces, it takes too long to do things. Yeah. And so what I've been focused on doing is putting together a team of people who can get things done. That includes people in the HSE, it includes people in the Department of Health, it includes Robert. And as we look across healthcare now, the three objectives you and I have talked about many times, number one, costs for patients are falling. Number two, new services are being rolled out. And number three, waiting lists are now falling. You accept Moroquin's report, don't you? Yes, I do. It said that he bypassed all accepted protocols. So you accept he bypassed all accepted protocols when it came to the handling of this? Yeah, look, I accept, I accept the report where we're going to so be you implementing... Accept, you accept he bypassed all accepted protocols in the department in his handling? Uh, I, look, I, I accept the report in full. I yes. accept the recommendations of the report. Uh, what I would say is in terms of the the research funding, um, obviously that would have come up to me uh, if I had agreed it. It would have um, become part of the estimates process. It would have been discussed with the, the Health Research Board. It would have been discussed with PER and it would have made its way mm. through. Um, so there were there were many stages left before that, that money would be agreed by government and would be funded. But as yeah. I say, I, I, uh, I but, accept but, the But my question is this, is why should any of us have faith that Robert Watt will follow protocols in the future, given that he doesn't accept this report. So you accept it, government accepts it. In other words, all of you sitting around the cabinet table accept that in this instance, he bypassed all accepted protocols and he says, no, I'm not having that. Why should we have faith that in the future he'll follow any protocols? Well, he, he also accepted that he, he will implement, as indeed will all of the departments, they'll implement the recommendations uh, coming out of this report, uh, let me let me make a few quick points, um, Kieran. The first is I should have been told earlier, right? And Robert Watt accepted that a year ago in his committee uh, appearance. I should have been I should have been brought into the loop earlier. The second thing to say is that everyone involved, I am absolutely clear that everyone involved in this was acting in good faith to to uh, put together a proposed secondment that I think most people thought would be a good idea. Tony Hulahan is is an outstanding public servant, an outstanding public health leader. And I believe that having him in an academic post would have been very beneficial. I still I still think it would be very beneficial. The final thing I'll say is this. Um, for me as Minister for Health, I've made it very clear to the department and to the HSE that we need to move at pace. And I am pushing the department and I am pushing the HSE to move at a pace 
that they they may not historically have moved at. Mm. And I won't I won't go over the list again, but I think at this point we can see the progress that's being made. My view is if I ask, if any of us ask people to make a lot of decisions very quickly, we must also accept that people, including me, will get some of those decisions wrong. And in accepting that they're getting them wrong, we must be open to to criticism, we must be open to learning, we must be open to getting them better. But I believe we must also, it must be open. This is like breaking a few eggs with an omelette argument now. When it comes to two million quid... Well, it, my view is it, it must, if we have, a, if we have a, 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 a system where there is no tolerance for anyone ever making a mistake, then I guarantee you what happens is this. Every civil servant, I'll just finish on this, yeah. but this is important, right? Every civil servant and everyone working in the HSC, mm. they will say, if that's the deal, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to follow the process and we're going to take our time because the only time then that we'll we'll fall foul of this is if we step outside the if we step it's outside his, the process. It's his reluctance or refusal to accept the reality of those mistakes that is the problem. Surely he doesn't accept the report. If he put his hands up and just said, "Listen, yes, mea culpa," and made the exact same argument you made that we cannot have an unrealistic standard for civil servants in the same way we can't have an unrealistic standard for ministers for health, radio presenters, or anyone else out there, but he didn't say that. I think, Kieran, uh, I, I had three hours at committee this morning, myself, <laughs> where I was answering a lot of questions on a lot of different issues. Um, anyone in a two and a half hour, three hour committee session, particularly when, when they're on their own, um, will not get everything, you know, will, will not get everything perfect. And as I said, regardless of his performance on the day, um, my focus is on implementation in healthcare. He's, he's one member of a team that we've put in place to get things done on behalf of patients mm. in this country. And I believe it's not all perfect and mistakes have been made and mistakes will, will be made in the future. Um, but, but we are seeing real progress on behalf of patients in this country now. Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. Minister, thank you for joining us. Thank you. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.